With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning everyone on the East Coast and the um, Central Time Zone in the United States. This is uh, Kennard Brown, your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is April 10th, uh, Shabbat, Saturday, 2010. I humbly apologize uh, for those who are waiting. I had some computer issues again, and I got them straightened out, and have about just uh, 49 minutes, so I'll try to see if I can go as quickly as I can. We are discussing the the days that God wants us to observe in Leviticus chapter 23. We have covered uh, the Passover feast, and we also, excuse that noise, uh, we also have covered the first and last day of unleavened bread, and now we're going to focus on what many people identify as Easter, but it really is called the Feast of First Fruits. And the Feast of First Fruits symbolizes the Messiah's resurrection. Uh, the Christian world celebrates first fruits in most cases by celebrating on Sunday, and they call this day Easter, and it's based on a misunderstanding and translation of Acts chapter 12, verse 4. Let's turn there. Acts chapter 12, verse 4. states here, or when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. And many uh, translations today, uh, even in the King James Version, it says that it means the Passover. So uh, you, I know you have some people who think the King James Version is the most accurate translation in English, uh, state that that it's not an error, but uh, that individual or individuals who, who continue to believe that they're wrong, it is an error. Now, Easter is a pagan holiday that involves Easter bunnies and eggs. Uh, what does this have to do with the resurrection of the Messiah? That's something that you have to consider. And God warned us to, to stop putting 
pagan traditions or, or or unholy traditions into his days that he commands us to celebrate and observe over in Deuteronomy chapter 12 if you want to find out more instrument uh, if you want to find out more information about Easter uh, you can just type Easter pagan on Google you can go to Michael Rood's website uh, you, you, you can look many places to find out and verify what I'm telling you to be true all right, so anyway, Daniel, I'm sorry, not Daniel, Deuteronomy chapter 12, starting in verse 29, it says, When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whether thou goest to possess them, and you succeed them, and dwell in their land, take heed to thyself that you be not snared by following them after that they be destroyed from before thee, that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shall not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. What thing soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add to it, nor diminish, nor diminish from it. And we've definitely done that um, throughout the ages, as far as religion is concerned. I'll be right back. Hello? Oops. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, of course, you guys are listening to me. Um, I had to pull the window down here in my room because it's, get, it's kind of noisy outside abnormally for some reason. So I know it's kind of disturbing to me, and it probably is disturbing to you, so I had to pull the window down. So anyway, I'm back. And let's turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 10. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. So that, that would be the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf, or the um, omer, before the Lord to be accepted for you, on the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Verse 12, And you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf a he lamb without blemish, which represents you know who, Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, of the first year. Now that's interesting where it says of the first year. Uh, for a burnt offering unto the Lord. Because many people believe that he had a three and a half year ministry. And we know that Yeshua Messiah represents the Passover, as 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. He definitely was a lamb without blemish, wasn't he? Because he did, never did sin. And it says, you shall offer a, a he lamb, a male lamb, and he was a male, right? Without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. So this is uh, really interesting here that... Um, it, it states that here. It gives you a, a, kind of an idea of how long his ministry was, and it definitely wasn't three and a half years, based on the scripture. Verse 13, And the meat offering, therefore, shall be two-tenths deals of a fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. 
and a drink offering shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. And you shall eat neither, and that's, that's interesting too, that there's wine involved in this, because remember uh, the night before he was uh, betrayed, or when he was betrayed during that night, uh, he drunk wine, right? This lamb drunk wine, or wine was associated with the lamb, without blemish, of the first year. Verse 14, And you shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears until the selfsame day that you are brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. Verse 15, And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, or Shabbat, or Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf, or Omer, of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even until the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Now, there has been great controversy involving that, but before I get into that, let me give you a little more history about, or background about, uh, this controversy. First of all, I'm going to give you a little information about the calendar here. I'm going to read out of uh, The Feast of the Lord uh, by Kevin Howard and Marvin Rosenthal. So let's let's talk about the Jewish year, and we're going to begin with the Gregorian calendar, which most of us, uh, whether we realize it or not, are going by today. Most of the world today uses a solar calendar. This is on page 39 of the book, which traces its origin to the Roman calendar established under Julius Caesar, Caesar in 45 B.C. Known as the Julian calendar, it consists of 365 days each year and a leap year every fourth year. During a leap year, an extra day was added to the month of February. With the passage of time, it was noticed that the solar year was actually about 11 minutes shorter than 365 and one-fourth days. An adjustment was needed to compensate for this, this, this discrepancy between the solar year and the civil calendar. In, in 1582, Pope Gregory, Pope Gregory issued an edict which declared that century years, 1600, 1700, etc., would be leap years, but only if they were also divisible by 400, 1600, 2000. This revised Julian calendar was called the Gregorian calendar and is, in, and is the calendar in use today. So we are using a Roman or pagan calendar today. That's the truth. Now, the Hebrew calendar. The Hebrew year reflects a compromise between lunar and solar reckoning. Jewish months are based upon the phases of the moon with an average length of 29.5 days. Ordinarily, the Jewish year has 12 lunar months, or in other words, about 354 days on the calendar. The Bible commanded that the various holidays were to be kept in their appointed seasons. That's in Numbers 9, verse 2 to 3. Passover, for example, was to be observed in the springtime. Seasons, however, are determined by the earth's orientation with the sun, not with the moon. If the Hebrew calendar used only a lunar year, one would be faced with an insurmountable problem. The difference of approximately 11 days between the lunar year and the solar year would cause Passover to be celebrated out of its appointed season in violation of the biblical injunction. To reconcile this difference, the Jewish calendar is based upon a 19-year cycle in which the 3rd, 6th, 8th, 11th, 14th, 16th, and 19th years are leap years. During a Jewish leap year, one day is added to the month Adar and a 13th month, which is 29 days, known as Adar Shinai, or 2nd Adar, is added to the calendar. In this sense, the Jewish calendar is lunar solar, is lunar solar calendar, a lunar calendar adjusted to the solar seasonal year. Now, until A.D. 359, the Sanhedrin presided in Jerusalem as the supreme judicial authority over all the Jewish matters. They controlled the formula for determining the new moon, which was observed 
when you look at the um, the sliver, the crescent sliver of the new moon, uh, when it first begins to have light on the moon, that is the, the little sliver. And that's when they determine that, oh, the following day would be new moon day. And that's how they do that. Or that's how they did that, rather. And the Karaite Jews do that today. But anyway, they control the formula for determining new moon and analysis arrival each month after hearing the testimony of two eyewitnesses. But changing political conditions in the region often hindered timely notification of the start of holidays. This tremendous hardship for those living in the diaspora, the Jewish communities outside Israel, threatened and continued observance of holy days or, or the holidays. In AD 360, Hillel II, the great patriarch, published the Sanhedrin's closely guarded calculations of the Hebrew calendar, thus fixing the present Hebrew calendar and eliminating the need for eyewitnesses. This diminished the Sanhedrin's control over Jewish life and eventually led to their decline. Because of differences between the Gregorian and Hebrew calendars, Jewish holidays appear to change dates every year. For instance, Passover sometimes occurs in March, at other times in April. Few events have shaped the history of Israel as much as the exodus from Egypt. In bringing his people out of Egypt, God's deliverance was so mighty and awesome that the the um, of Israel's uh, Israel's religious observance was forever altered. Seven holy days were given to Israel by the Lord. Additionally, Israel was given a new calendar, which began its religious new year in the month of Nisan, which is March and April, the month in which God delivered Israel out of Egypt. God commanded, "This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you." And that's in Exodus 12, verse 2. Until the Exodus, Israel had marked a new year according to the agriculture or civil calendar, which began after the harvest. Harvest time signaled the conclusion of the agricultural year. After harvest time, the plowing, sowing, reaping cycle began anew. Israel, as an agricultural society, naturally began a new year after the harvest. This is found in Exodus 23, 16, 34, 22. After the Exodus, Israel actually observed two new years, the agricultural and the religious. So the religious in the spring, the agricultural is in the fall, in September, around September. The religious calendar began its new year in Nisan, March, April, and was used for all dating in the Bible. However, the more ancient agricultural civil new year, September, October, around the Feast of Trumpets, continued to be a tradition within Israel. Now, the year of Jubilee was primarily an agricultural holy year, which was observed every 50th year. During the year of Jubilee, the land of Israel remained uncultivated for the entire growing season. As such, the year of Jubilee commenced in the seventh month of the religious calendar coinciding with the agricultural new year in the fall of the year. Now, with the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70 and the dispersion of Israel, observance of the Feast of Trumpets occurring in the seventh month was diminished. As a result, the Feast of Trumpets came to be celebrated simply as Rosh Hashanah, head of the year, since it coincided with the civil new year. As the modern Jewish new year, Rosh Hashanah preserves the new year tradition of the ancient civil calendar. Israel's recognition of two calendars, one for civil and one for religious purposes, was affirmed by ancient authority. The first century Jewish historian Josephus explained that while Israel was in Egypt, they began their calendar in the month of Tishri, but Moses appointed that Nisan should be the first month of the festivals because he brought them out of Egypt in that month. So that this month began the year as to all um, they observed to the honor of God, although he preserved the original order of the months as to selling and buying and other ordinary affairs. This is in the Antiquities of the Jews, uh, section 1, chapter 3, verse 3. The ancient rabbinical voice from before the time of Jesus commented, in the month that the ancient ones called the first month, but now it is called the seventh month. Now, the biblical calendar. The biblical calendar, which 
I believe I'm observing now, consisted of 360 days or 12 months of 30 days each. In the, the account of the flood, Noah's ark was in the, the waters for five months, which was equivalent to 150 days. In the book of Revelation, three and a half years was equivalent to 42 months, which was equivalent to 1,260 days. In each instance, the month was viewed as 30 days and the year as 360 days. The exact details of how the calendar was periodically adjusted to keep it in alignment with the solar year have been lost, and I say the nay to that has been discovered again. And the the group of Jews, as far as I know, that are observing the uh, the biblical calendar are the Karite Jews. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, I'm going to quote you something from the Jewish Study Bible. When you look at Leviticus chapter 23, and if I need to do a part two, I will, because I started kind of late here, but I'm going to try to see if I can get through with everything today. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10. Actually, verse 15, and look at the commentary here today, that the Jews have in uh, their, their own uh, study Bible here. Here is their commentary on verse 11. He shall elevate, and this is um, in the Jewish study Bible version, he shall elevate the sheep, or the omer, before the Lord for acceptance in your behalf. The priest shall elevate it on the day after the Sabbath. Now, there's there's been a big controversy between who at that time were the, the Pharisees, the rabbis of today, versus the Sadducees, who the Karaites say that they have similar beliefs. All right, so anyway, it says, For acceptance on your behalf, this phrase became a major source of controversy. This is on page uh, 264 of the Jewish Study Bible in Talmudic times. Uh, the Talmud is a, as I've stated uh, quite a few times on this program, is an interpretation of the, um, the Old Testament by the Jews. It's a commentary. The Pharisaic sage is claiming that the word Sabbath is used here in its non-specific literal sensation, cessation, rather, but does not indicate the weekly Sabbath day, vehemently asserted that the Omer is presented on the day after the day of rest at the beginning of the Matzah pilgrimage, namely the 16th of Nisan. Otherwise, the definite article in the phrase, this Sabbath, would have no reference. Though this view has been accepted by Jewish tradition, and I've quoted to you about what Jesus said about Jewish tradition, making the law of God of none effect, and this is an example of it. So though this view has been accepted by Jewish tradition, the more natural sense of the phrase is that the ceremony was to take place on the first day of the week, Sunday, following the pilgrimage. This was the view of the Balthusians, as well as the Quorum sect. Um, now keep in mind, the Quorum sect is the sect that... Um, where the Dead Sea Scrolls comes from. While the Samaritans and the Karaites held that Sunday during the Masah pilgrimage was intended. So the Karaite view is correct, where it states that uh, the Samaritans and the Karaites held that the Sunday during the Masah pilgrimage was intended. That is the correct rendering of this. 
So that's the big controversy. But, you know, you have to go by the Bible tomorrow after the Sabbath means Sunday. I mean, that's common sense. Even a five-year-old would understand that. And um, unfortunately, Jewish tradition, again, has done that. Now, to get a little idea about what this day involved as far as the Jewish background, And I'm going to um, start on page 79 here. It says, several days later at sundown on Nisan 15. And this did not begin on sundown, Nisan 15. It began, well, it depends, but it would begin on sundown um, on uh, the, the, the morrow after the Sabbath. Okay, it says a three-man delegation from the Sanhedrin emerged in the temple area, accompanied by a multitude of excited observers. The procession made its way down to the barley field to perform the first fruits reaping ceremony. With sickles in hands and baskets under arm, the three chosen reapers positioned themselves in readiness before the predetermined bundles of barley. As they did so, a hush fell over the crowd in recognition of the solemnity of the moment. Only the soft whisper of the swaying grain could be heard. Suddenly, the unison voices of the reapers broke the stillness of the evening. With a series of questions on the onlookers, has the sun set with this sickle into the basket on this Shabbat? Shall I read now? Having received affirmation responses, the priest repeated this final verification process twice, again as a safeguard. The marked sheaths were then reaped until one epoch of barley was obtained. The presentation of the first is on page 79 of uh, the Feast of the Lord. In a temple court, the grain was threshed with rods rather than oxen, drawn sledges so that the barley corns could not be injured. It was then parched over an open flame and winnowed in the wind to remove the shaft. Finally, the barley was milled and put through an intensive sifting process until it sifted very fine. According to the Talmud, the sifting ceremony continued until one of the temple inspectors could plunge his hands into the flour and move them without any flour adhering to his hands. So on the morning of um, Sunday... I don't know whether, you know, it depends on the years, whether it's Nisan 16 or 15 or whatever. The first fruits were presented to the Lord. One omer, about five pints of the barley flour, was mixed with three, four pints of olive oil, and a small amount of frankincense was sprinkled upon it. This became the first fruits offering. Again, the first fruits offering consisted of one omer of barley flour, and it was mixed with three, four pints of olive oil, and a small amount of frankincense was sprinkled upon it. This became the first fruits offering. The priest waited before the Lord in accordance with Leviticus 23, verses 11 to 13, and that was on a Sunday, not, not what this book is saying here, and burned a small amount upon the altar. The remainder was given to the Levites. Now, keep in mind, because God did stated that hardly any of them kept the law, they may have been doing this. Josephus stated that they were doing this on Nisan 15. So uh, what was going on is, is the Samaritans, or a certain sects were doing it the correct way, and others were doing it the wrong way. And that, that it was a bunch of confusion, even back then in the first century. Anyway, on page 80 it says, uh, First Roots was a national observance, but each family bought its respective First Roots offering to the temple as well. Each early spring, Israelite farmers performed a ritual of setting their First Roots apart. Throughout the Terrace Hill country of Ephraim and Judah and rolling Hills of the lowlands, the ritual was frequently repeated. Farmers followed by skipping children ventured into the fields to mark the best of their unripened crops. A rush or cord was carefully tied around the selected first roots so as not to damage them. These were set apart to the Lord 
as each farmer declared, Behold, these are the first fruits. Excitement mounted daily as the first fruits ripened and were ready or were finally harvested for the Passover pilgrimage to Jerusalem. On the morning of, uh, on a Sunday, uh, the, the winding streets of Jerusalem were alive with the smell of baking matzah, the sound of laughing children, the excited shouts of a woman, a baby's cry, the distant barking of a dog, the nervous bleeding of sheep, and the soft cooing of turtle doves. Jerusalem was waking to the Feast of First Jews. And again, as I said, um, you had some Pharisees doing it on Nisan 16, um, and you had some that were doing it uh, the correct way, as the Bible reveals, uh, the morrow after the Sabbath during the festival. The early spring morning was cool, the air still calm, a slight haze hung in the air, slowly dissipating in the brightness of the morning sun. The towering temple with its radiant white marble columns and golden brass trim was situated like a glistening diadem on the brow of Mount Zion. Outside its gates, the hunting melody of flutes quickened the hearts of those who arrived, invoking the traditional joyful reply. Praise God in his sanctuary, which is found in Psalm uh, 150, verse 1. Inside the temple gates, Levitical choirs, of course, led the worship music with Psalm 30. I will ex extol you, o, o Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. That scene would continue throughout the day as the Jewish nation flocked to the sanctuary of the Lord. Glancing into the court of the priests, one could see orange flames on the sacrificial altar leaping toward heaven as a column of steam and blue smoke drifted slowly toward the east. A host of priests were present there, some tending the fire, some slaughtering the sacrifices, some pouring the drink offerings, and some waving the first fruits offering before the Lord. In the quarter of the Israelites, a steady stream of men could be seen on the 15 steps of the Nicanor Gate, solemnly presenting their offerings to the priests under its impressive archway. Many led small white lamps on ropes. Some of the men were obviously poor, as was conspicuous by their simple clothing. One such man, Yehuda ben Saba, a young Rugged farmer stepped forward and said with great feeling, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. As he did so, he handed a rough wooden cage to an attending priest. Two turtle doves were tied inside as the alternate burnt offering for those too poor to afford a lamb. As the priest held the turtle doves, the younger farm, the young farmer accompanied his offering with a prayer to God confessing his sin. So anyway, that gives you an example of what this day was all about and, and what it represented and so forth. Now, Pentecost or Shavuot, we're going to talk about that next week, but Pentecost means, that's, that's Shavuot in English, it means 50th. God's servants are commanded to count, as I stated, 50 days from the morning after Shabbat, which is the seventh day of the week. To clarify, we count 50 days from Sunday, and the day of Pentecost falls on Sunday after the Sabbath, according to the Bible, not Jewish tradition. All right, and I already went over the situation there. And to understand this a little, a little more in detail, because uh, some people listening to me may know about this controversy, and uh, they may think I'm wrong, and that's fine. But let's, let's um, look at some other scriptures here. Joshua chapter 5, for further proof of this. Joshua 5, verse 11. Joshua 5, verse 11 states, And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the same day. Now, of course, uh, rabbis state that this must have been on Nisan 16. But you have to understand, first of all, what does the phrase on the morrow after the Passover mean? What does that mean? According to the Karaites, and I'm going to use another scripture to back up what they're saying, Joshua 5, 11 is referring to Nisan 15 
as the first day of the Omer, not Nisan 16. Okay? And to prove that, hold your place here. It says, and they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover. On the morrow means on the following morning. That's what that means. Now, let's turn to Numbers chapter 33 to, to, to understand this. You have another scripture, interpret another scripture here. Numbers chapter 33. starting in verse 3. And they departed from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the month, colon, semicolon, on the morrow after the Passover. So the morrow after the Passover is identified with the 15th day of the month. Okay, and on the morrow after the Passover the children of Israel went out with a high hand in the sight of all the Egyptians. So again, on the morrow after the Passover, they identified with the 15th day of the month. On the morrow after the Passover, the 15th day of the month. Now we go back to Joshua, chapter 5, verse 11. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover. Same phrase. The morrow after the Passover means the 15th of the month. Okay, do you see that? Again, Numbers 33, verse 3, says in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, semicolon, on the morrow after the Passover. So the 15th day of the month of Aviv, or Nisan, is the, the morrow after the Passover. And you in Joshua 5, verse 11, and they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, which is Nisan 15. So when you combine both those scriptures together, it knocks the rabbinic tradition in the garbage can. So during this time, obviously, uh, Joshua and everyone in Israel waved the the the, the, the Omer. The first um, count of the Omer began on a Sunday, which was Nisan 15, according to your Bible. So that is an easy way to prove the rabbis wrong in reference to saying that uh, Nisan 16 is the day that you waved the the, the, the Omer which begins the first day of the count of the Omer, or the waving. All right, so morrow after the Sabbath refers to Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen, according to your Bible. Now, um, I was going to quote from another book, but I don't have that much time. But in John 7, verse 19, it states, Didn't Moshe give you the Torah, yet one of, not one of you obeys the Torah? Why are you out to kill me? So, that's in the complete Jewish Bible version. It tells you a lot of people during that time were struggling on um, trying to understand what the law of God or the law of Moses uh, was. Luke 12, verse 1. It says, In the meantime, when they were gathered together in innumerable multitudes of the people, insomuch that they drove one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the... Leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. They tell someone to do something. They teach it, but they don't do it themselves. Matthew 16, verse 11 to 12 states, How is it that you do not understand that I spake not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? So the Pharisees, who are the modern-day rabbis today, and the Sadducees, who are um, some of the Karaites uh, claim that they are similar to the way the Sadducees were in some aspects. Uh, Christ 
has has prophesied here and and stated that uh, there's leavening in both sects. And then verse 12, or hypocrisy. Then understood they how he bade them not to... Verse uh, 12 of Matthew 16. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So even though there is advantage to being a Jew, you have to, to watch out. Sometimes they, well, more often than not, their teachings do contradict with the law of God. So you have to, to be careful. And then Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it says, Then came Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees, which are, or scribes and Torah teachers, and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Verse 2, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. So they were so much concerned about the tradition of the elders, but they weren't concerned about them violating the law of God. Verse 3, But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Verse 4, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die to death. But in verse 5, But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father and mother, it is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father and mother. He shall be free, free from the obligation to take care of his parents, to give a gift to, to, to God. And that's not biblical. Thus have you made the commandment of God in effect by your tradition. Says you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, These people draw near unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Verse 9. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So you have to be careful, especially with the the controversy with um, the count of the armor and and the controversy with the Jewish calendar. Uh, Deuteronomy 16, verse 1, and you can look at look this also in, in the Targums, it states plainly that the new moon should be observed by calculation, and that was done, Moses told the whole nation of Israel to do that. Because some people argue with you and say, well, in Exodus 12, God specifically just told Moses and Aaron, no, that, that's, well, how can you explain Deuteronomy 16, verse 1? When Moses told the whole nation of Israel to observe the, the, uh, observe the month of Aviv, and month in Hebrew means new moon. And of course, I know you guys know what observe means, right? That's a basic English word, right? So that, that's a commandment to everyone. Uh, and then Exodus chapter 22, I, I quoted this last week. Exodus chapter 22, starting at verse 3. Exodus 23, verse 2, rather. Exodus 23, verse 2 says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Or if you know that a whole group of people is doing evil, that doesn't mean you follow them. Neither shalt thou speak in a cause and decline after many to rest judgment. So I know Jews, they twist this scripture, turn it around and say it's not meaning that, but it is meaning what it means. Exodus 23, verse 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Not every Jew, but traditionally the, the rabbis, particularly the Orthodox, will say that this is not what it's saying. But Exodus 23, verse 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Or you shouldn't follow a multitude if you know they're wrong about something. And then I proved this in Acts, I mean, last week, Acts chapter 5, and this is, you know, many people will say, well, you know, we don't have the authority to change anything. Yes, you do. If, you, if, if the authority, and this is an example when the apostles went against the Sanhedrin here. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Let's see, where is it? Okay. Acts chapter um, 5, verse uh, 23. Start there. Get the back backdrop or back 
ground, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we had found no man there. Acts 5, verse 23, 24. But when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them wherein this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people that not they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and that's, this was the Sanhedrin back then, the Jewish authorities. And the high priest asked them, this was the high priest, saying, Did we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? In other words, the name of uh, Yeshua Messiah, Jesus. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Of course, the blood of Christ, or the Messiah. Verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So yes, there are some cases where you have to go against the majority. And just because the majority is doing something doesn't make it right. If you see the majority cutting people's heads off, are you going to do it too? No, of course not. You have to, you have to obey God no matter what. All right, now I'm going to discuss a very important topic because a lot of people are mixed up on this. When was Yeshua resurrected? And this also is going to explain what this day of first fruits or what they misinterpret to be Easter is all about. And we have to look at several scriptures here to get the total picture of this. And I'm trying to break this down as simple. I can go into further detail. And if you want further detail, I recommend, I highly recommend you go to Michael Root's website. Type in Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Rood, R-O-O-D, and go to his website. I have a lot of his materials. I, I partnered with him in, in reference to uh, mentioning his materials, and I also have learned a lot in his materials from his materials, and I know you will too. Michael Rood, I'm giving him a plug. I hope he appreciates this. I'm sure he does. Uh, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Rood, R-O-O-D, Michael Rood. Type it in Google. You go to his website. Please get the Jonah Code. The Jonah Code will explain to you in, 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 in such a clear fashion of how Jesus died at 3 o'clock on Wednesday and was resurrected on, he died of if 14 at 3 o'clock, right around the time when the Passover lambs were sacrificed. Because he, remember, he was a lamb of the first year without blemish, and he died on the cross of if 14 on a Wednesday. And he was resurrected on Aviv 17, on Shabbat, on, on Shabbat evening. And that is the truth, and nothing but the truth. And let's look at some of the scriptures here in the remaining time that I have left. And if I don't get through here, what we're going to do is um, pick up next week on this. And then I'm going to talk about uh, Pentecost, or Shavuot. Okay, so Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 32. And as they came out, they found a man of Siren, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of the skull, which is near Mount Moriah, by the way, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, they parted my garments among them and cast my vesture, and they did cast lots. And sitting down there, they watched him there and set up over his head 
his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the other. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, Thou that destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save thyself. So if you be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him and the, and the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. said to these, the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in, in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, or around three o'clock. Okay, and about the ninth hour, which is... Uh, defined as three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, la sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he was quoting Psalm 22. Verse 47, some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man called for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let, be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried, Against with a loud voice yielded up the spirit. It says ghost here should be spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent and twined from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent, and the graves were open. And this is pretty interesting. The graves were open when he died, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, remember the rehearsal about the first fruits, and we know the Bible reveals Christ to be the first truth, right? Well, he also is our high priest after the after the order of Melchizedek. And obviously what happened here, these human beings that were resurrected represented the first fruit harvest. And what he did when he was resurrected, they also was resurrected around the same time he was, which was Saturday evening. And that symbolizes the preparation of preparing the, the sheaf to be waved. And then, of course, on Sunday morning, what happened? He appeared to Mary Magdalene, right? Let's turn to John chapter 20. And it says right here, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and says unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, and see if the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in the place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre. And when he saw it, and believed, for as yet they knew not that the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So in other words, they didn't understand it, even though he told them about it, they didn't fully comprehend 
Then the disciples went away into their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and saw two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And when they said unto her, Woman, why do you weep? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I know not where they had laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew that it was, she did not know it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said unto her, Woman, why do you weep? Why are you crying? Who do you seek? She supposed him to be the gardener, says it to him. And isn't that something? He was doing what the the, 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 the priest did. They were, uh, during that period of time, they, they were reaping the harvest. And that's what he was doing. Isn't that something? Anyway, sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. Verse 17, Jesus said unto her, Touch me not. And it's been so much, I said, Jesus, if you understand what was done, the priest was not to be touched. The priest was not to even come out of the temple until he actually did the way sheep offering, so he was not to be touched or handled by anyone. And this is what this represents. And when you don't understand the Jewish background, you're not going to understand this. You're going to eisegesis it to death. Anyway, it says, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and see the earthly temple represents the heavenly temple. And Jesus wasn't going to go to the earthly temple. He was going to go to the heavenly temple. And I know Michael Rood is teaching that he also took those that he resurrected to heaven too and I'm still investigating that but that could be the case I do know that they were resurrected along with him and that did symbolize the 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 the, uh, the waving of the offering but did he actually take them to heaven and just left them there symbolizing also the waving of the offering in the in the temple in heaven well and I, I need to further investigate that but anyway Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. And see, right here, he didn't say also he was going to take the other people that were resurrected. <laughs> but, you know. So anyway, verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciple that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. So anyway, that's what happened. And I wanted to go over some other scriptures here. I don't know if I'm going to have time to... To do so, in particular, I wanted to go over Luke, um, chapter 23. Luke, chapter 23, starting in verse 50. It says, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, uh, that means a council member, and he was a good man and a just man. The same had not consented to the counsel indeed of them. He was of Amarathea, a city of the Jews, who was also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went into Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was honed in stoneware, and never man lay, was laid before it was laid. And that day was the preparation. What is the preparation? The preparation was the day that they prepared for the Sabbath. But see, that particular Sabbath 
was a different Sabbath. I'm going to prove that to you in a minute. It was a high day Sabbath. And a woman also which came with him from Galilee followed after, and behold, the sepulcher and how his body was returned. They returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested on a, on a Shabbat, on a Sabbath day, according to the commandment. And that's the actual uh, Sabbath day, according to the commandment, the seventh day of the week. So, then you have here in, in, in chapter 24 of Israel, now upon the first of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher. So that proves that this is Sunday, and it's in the morning bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away, so he was already resurrected. And they entered in and found out the body of the Lord Jesus. All right, so that, that gives you the backdrop again there. Um, let's look at John. I don't have too much time here. Two minutes. Let's look at another one here. Mark. And Mark 16, verse 1. Well, I'm going to have to go over this next week because I really don't have time. I'm going to pick up and prove to you uh, exactly uh, which Sabbath that was talking about using the scriptures, and then we're going to talk about uh, Shavuot. So, again, I apologize for starting... Uh, like 10 minutes, I think. <laughs> I have computer issues, and um, I'll, I'll do the best I can do a better job to uh, have everything set up. So if there is computer issues there, we'll minimize the, uh, the chance of me starting late. So anyway, I apologize, and I thank you for listening. Uh, may God bless and keep you, and we'll pick up next week. We're going to talk about uh, which day. I'm going to prove out of the scriptures that he was, that he did die on, on Wednesday of the 14 and was resurrected of the 17. May God bless and keep you. You take care of yourselves, and I will speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.